0: It's our job to tell better stories, And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and
1: tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying differently. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency, Advanced B2B. It's your host here, Edward Ford, and joining us today is Krish Subramanian, CEO and co-founder at Chargebee, a subscription billing platform. Krish and his founding team set up Chargebee back in 2011, and the Chennai-based company now has over 5,000 customers, which it achieved through focusing upon three key growth pillars, those being marketing, product, and customer support. In this episode, Krish opens up on these topics, and we explore why Krish decided to set up a subscription billing solution in the relatively early days of SaaS back in 2011, why they went with the freemium business model and how Chargebee acquired its first few customers, Chargebee's three key growth pillars, including inbound marketing as a growth driver, how to build commitment and dependence to the product before new customers have spent a dollar, and the secrets to delivering a world-class global support team. And we also hear how Chargebee's marketing team is structured around four key teams and Krish also shares his insights on how the SaaS landscape has evolved since 2011 and how Chargebee have ensured that they're able to stand out and differentiate in the face of increased competition. And as ever, stay tuned to the end of the episode where Krish takes on our Fast Five challenge alongside his best piece of advice for fellow SaaS growth leaders. So here is episode 17 of The Growth Hub podcast with Krish Subramanian, CEO and co-founder at Chargebee. Welcome to The Growth Hub podcast everyone and uh, welcome to the show Krish Subramanian, co-founder and CEO of ChargeB. Thanks so much for joining us today, Krish. Thank you Edward. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, and today we are talking all about Chargebee and your journey to 5,000 customers. And you actually started out on this adventure way back in early 2011. So tell us, Krish, why did you decide to found Chargebee?
0: Thank you. Interesting question. Um, So I worked uh, for 10 years before starting up Chargebee, but all through uh, with now my co-founder Rajaram, and we used to talk about wanting to start up. So my co-founder, Raja Raman, used to be part of the Zoho journey. And he, so we studied uh, computer science engineering together. Uh, he was my college classmate and buddy. Uh, and um, all through, he he was part of the Zoho journey and he was inspired by that. And we always wanted to start a company like that, uh, that uh, we wanted to build an organization like that. And for me, personally, uh, I started off with a very small company uh, and worked with a founder. And from that time, I was fascinated about value creation, Uh, the way you could actually build a a company by solving a problem. So all of that. uh, And uh, then I used to read blogs by uh, Joel Spolsky's, Joel on Software, uh, from, I think, 2002. um, And that was fascinating. Just read right where he was building the company out in the open and then he was writing blogs about his struggles and the journey and lessons and all that. And all of that uh, over the last, last 10 years of working uh, in big companies um, and then while he was working in part of the Zoho journey, all of that, uh, we wanted to start up at some point of time so we were saving up for 10 years to want to build a company and <laughs> still it took a decade for us to have the, uh, to get off the golden handcuffs and then quit and start. <laughs>
1: Okay and wh- why did you decide to solve the problem of payments for SaaS businesses specifically?
0: So it was mainly team first for four of us. Uh, so it's four founders in charge. B. It was team first. So we just wanted to build an organization together. And because we started in 2011, the obvious, uh, obviously we were all having 10 years of business experience in solving B2B problems. Uh, we didn't start off with an idea first company. <laughs> so it's not like, okay, so we faced this problem earlier. So we are solving this. That's not the story that we have. Rather it was four of us wanting to build a company together and it's B2B globally relevant problem is something we wanted to solve and we wanted to build something where we will make money uh, from day one because we thought we will, we didn't know any other way other than bootstrapping the company. We didn't know that we could actually raise capital but turned out we actually did later. Uh, But interestingly, uh, all of that put together, we just said, okay, so what problem can we solve? So we picked two, three ideas where, there were inefficiencies, uh, the same problem was solved by somebody in the enterprise segment but there is a, an underserved segment uh, from the early stage to mid-market because we felt that was our DNA of the team where we could actually solve it for SMB customers and then scale up to enterprise and something globally relevant. So we looked at two, three ideas and subscription building was a problem that uh, definitely looked like at that time uh, that uh, needs to be solved because a lot of the subscription businesses were coming up, everybody was building in the cloud. And still, uh, there is so much action happening in payments, but not enough in the uh, the operation side of things to streamline the billing and uh, invoicing and other things uh, that is relevant for these recurring revenue. Businesses. So we picked this as a problem saying, okay, so the problem itself is it looks complex enough to have its own mode. So let's try and attempt it. <laughs> so that was a reason.
1: Okay. So you went team first rather than idea first when it came to setting up Charge B. Yep. And one question I want to ask now, why did you decide to go with freemium as a business model? And can you tell us about how you built your go-to-market strategy?
0: Interesting. So um, so pricing, right? So instead of just looking at only freemium, the way I would look at it is pricing is something that we have continuously been iterating on to understand how it affects uh, the perception of uh, prospects and customers. right? So if you price it too low, people might think, Uh, prospects might think is it uh, too good to be true right because the nature of the solution is that it has to be something reliable it's billing and payments I'm trusting you with my business and they need to feel that uh, you are building something uh, they they are building on top of a solution that is going to be around for a long time so that is one number two they also want to choose the, the best product for their solution which has to be premium but at the same time, uh, in the early stage, if you are solving for early stage companies, they also look for a deal, meaning I cannot afford to pay, I want the best solution, but probably I don't have the money to be able to do it, is also there in the back of the mind of early stage customers. So to solve all of that, we thought okay, so there needs to be an attractive entry level pricing while we continue to have the scale up uh, different stages of pricing for scaled customers. But at entry level, what is the right price is something that we have been iterating on. So the current premium that you see is actually the third or fourth iteration of what we have attempted. So we even started off with 10 invoices free. Um, So the way we think about it is it's a marketing acquisition tactic, uh, freemium, right, combined with uh, the ability for the customer to pay at some point of time, which is a premium product is how we look at it. Um, and but to get it right has been a hard journey which is if you get the customer on 10 free customer uh, first invoice is free then you will also attract people who think um, I only have 10 customers so it's a free product Right. But that's not your intent as a business. Uh, but the customer is thinking that I always have 10, less than 10 invoices. And we attempted something like that. It actually affects your lead quality. And then we shut it down after six months of experimentation. We said, okay, that's not working. And then uh, we honored the existing customers, but then we moved on from that. And then we iterated on the premium. The uh, so it has been an iterative journey to actually work closely with the prospect, learning from the lead quality, conversion funnel, uh, to arrive at the current premium as a business model uh, more than a business model i would say it's actually a marketing and acquisition tactic to, to align with our customers growth.
1: okay and if we think back to the early days of charge b when you're setting things up how did you go about getting your first few customers
0: primarily through support so when we were still building the product i would actually hang out in different uh, forums uh, like payment gateway forums or uh, um, the hacker news and then stack overflow and other threads but people are asking questions like so i have paypal or a braintree account and i wa- i have this particular issue with managing recurring payments how do i do that or how do i manage what is the best practice related to uh, sending invoices or tax invoice to my customers and in the absence of our product what is the right way to solve it so i would actually go about answering that question to those people in the in that forum and then while actually giving the solution, I would also sign off saying, hey, by the way, we are building, the, trying to build this uh, and solve the same problem. And we are about to launch the beta. So if you are interested, please sign up. I would love to have your feedback. And then I used to actually leave these kind of comments by one being helpful while trying to also recruit people who might become beta customers. Uh, and that brings in qualified prospects into your funnel. So we used to do this over the the time when we were building the product and we had 300, 400 of those signups even before we launched our product. And we continue doing that even after launching the product. That's a tactic that we continue doing till there was enough uh, momentum built using SEO, ACM and all that uh, for sustainable uh, acquisition. But till that time you had to do things which uh, probably don't scale Quora and other places where you answer questions and be helpful uh then your volume kicks in from uh, your regular uh, seo and other things uh then you actually switch tactics in terms of channels so that's how we got our first uh, few customers
1: okay i love it so it's a lot of helping and a lot of hard work basically uh to get those first few customers and you've actually said that your top three strategies that enabled you to build a global business from chennai are inbound driven marketing a product that has global appeal, and as you just uh, discussed, they're investing heavily in support. So let's dig into these three topics of marketing, product, and support a little more. So first up, why did you focus on inbound as a growth driver?
0: Right. Uh, So the the entire business model has to uh, align with the price at which you operate, the, the underserved segment that you're going after, and how would you profitably service them. Right, So the the overall economics has to work. So uh, the, the very fact that even though you have a C-Card Delaware company and all that, but you are physically, geographically located and away from the customers, uh, where you don't have the same density of customers like in Silicon Valley, you just walk across the street or coffee shop and recruit a customer, cannot happen for a lot of us. And that, are, uh, that naturally brings in the constraint to think about how am I going to acquire my customers profitably and in a sustainable way. And uh, there is nothing better than inbound uh, that you can do that can work in that manner. That is, um, so quite naturally, I'm somebody who hates outbound emails. Uh, I don't like to, or probably I don't respond to these kind of uh, outbound emails, just the way somebody else would, right? So which uh, uh, naturally does not align with your mindset. Uh, So the the thing that works for me, for me, I was fascinated by what I read about HubSpot. Uh, Just around 2011, 2012, HubSpot was actually coming up in a big way. They were practicing what they were preaching and building. And uh, I just learned from, I soaked into that experience. I read everything that they were publishing and learned everything about that marketing as a tactic. And I don't have, I come, I am an engineer by background, uh, by education. And I do not have a business background. So which means that uh, it's a, Uh, You you are fresh in terms of uh, what you know about marketing, right? And learning, there is no better way than actually learning from somebody else. And uh, so we just soaked into everything that HubSpot was uh, practicing. And we just started following that, which is talking about our customer problem came naturally to us uh, because customer support is something that comes naturally uh, by just uh, responding to emails when somebody asks you a query. And uh, instead of writing that as an email, then you are now learning to write it as a blog post, right? Where you articulate a particular problem. Uh, and then you also offer a solution. The moment, so all our early blogs and then the things that we did, tactics that we did was all revolving around. But by doing that around the keywords and then learning about SEO and all that, naturally we gravitated towards all the tactics that were uh, suited for inbound as a primary channel of customer acquisition. So, and it turned out that uh, that, uh, actually is a fantastic thing because one, your cost of acquiring a customer is actually very low. Uh, it can be complemented beautifully by uh, SEM, which is AdWords and other channels. Uh, And uh, it is also sustainable in terms of the effort that you put into actually inbound leads is something that's sustainable. Uh, To give you an example, if I don't do anything for next two months, you know that you still get the same number of leads that you get in the current month. Hopefully you don't do anything stupid. But uh, that's a a beauty of uh, inbound. Um, And it also aligns with your overall pricing strategy. So we used to have a Uh, $79 price or a $49 price as an entry price point. And it's very hard to even justify going and meeting someone or trying to say, I will send 100 customized emails to get one customer. The effort that is necessary to do that is not scalable. Um, So many reasons why we did that, but I think it's more about uh, the type of people and then uh, overall economics just work out. It just makes sense.
1: Yeah, and and secondly then in, in terms of the product, So you have an offer for new businesses that are just starting out and they can use Chargebee for free until they've billed their first $50,000 in revenue. So I want to ask, how effective has this promotion been and how many companies stayed on using Chargebee once they'd hit that first $50,000?
0: Sure. Uh, So we see very less churn uh, from customers. So so the other (laughs) way... Interesting question. So how many... When, when customers start, so the, the reason why we have this 50, first $50,000 free is actually the playbook from Braintree. So it's not something that we came up with uh, ourselves. So the when somebody is actually starting out at the idea stage, uh, everybody is aspiring to build a sustainable business. But once they start making money, uh, there is a belief that I would like to pursue this for a longer time. right? So the first $50,000 allows them to Uh, do that for a sustained period of time like uh, we don't actually have a forced time constraint to do that Uh, so pretty much anybody who actually gets beyond the first two thousand to five thousand dollars continues to uh, build the business on top of charity but it's actually it's also unfortunate where uh, i think more than 50 percent of the businesses don't get to the point where they are able to uh, see that uh, their idea get enough traction right so it's actually a 50 50 in terms of number of people who are able to uh, build traction for launch with chargebee uh, and then continue to gain some traction so that is uh, so we, the churn is actually pretty high in the early stage but the key is uh, for us is how much effort do we need to put in to onboard that customer and uh, is our product built in a way that it is it can be self service uh, for them so that is something that is in our control which we are able to optimize But uh, what we cannot uh, optimize for or not in our control is uh, uh, how many of these businesses go on to build uh, something that is sustainable um, and makes money. Does that uh, help? Uh, Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, that absolutely answers the question. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and the third part of your key strategies has been customer support. You've mentioned already in the interview that that's something you're really passionate about. And I actually want to read out your LinkedIn bio because I think it's just great. And you've written, I enjoy customer support. That just summarizes why I love SaaS and what you should expect at Charge B, world-class customer support. And I know your new employee onboarding also starts off with customer support. So tell us, what are the secrets to delivering world-class customer support?
0: Right. Um, so I'll tell you this. Uh, So, so I I did not, before starting Chargebee, I did not uh, know anything about sales uh, or marketing, right? And uh, and for a very long time, we did not have a sales team. So, customer support was the only sales channel as well as support. Uh, So, for me, in terms of defining characteristics, right? When somebody reaches out to you asking a question, right? They are giving an opportunity to bring their business uh, to you and that's, Uh, that just feeling is just amazing right especially for you uh, building and launching this early stage product and you are just waiting for someone to try you right it's like there's so much joy like a kid where somebody is giving you the privilege of actually trying your product and for me the the whole responsiveness is something extremely important so when somebody writes to you for us till date we continue to optimize on the first response time and that is a one major metric that we actually uh, obsess about and continue to optimize for we don't really measure the resolution time at all in our customer support team. The metric that we continuously measure in support and sales is first response time. And for us, the median response time is now one and a half hours, even at scale. And it used to be uh, earlier when, when just two uh, two of the founders used to do the support. We still used to try and respond to as many emails as possible within the first ten minutes. Uh, and and the the. We generally underestimate the, the delight it brings to people on the other side uh, when they actually get a thoughtful response in the first five to ten minutes of writing, right? And we have all experienced it. And yet, when it comes to our own service, there are very few products that actually obsess the world. It's a shame. Um, but I, I just think that is the key, right? Which is how do you bring your personality traits into an email-based support or a Uh, An online interaction by responding to them really, really fast, I think is one of the biggest drivers in bringing delight um, and expressing that I care about you, right? I care about uh, trying to be helpful to you. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things. The number two thing is uh, definitely thoughtful responses. Templarized responses don't work. Uh, Optimizing to say, okay, let me start creating a knowledge base of items, then just start giving links don't work. Right. Uh, I like to just dig into the question a little bit more. When somebody says, hey, how do I do this? Um, it is very easy to say, okay, so here is a link, go do it. Uh, but what we do the counterintuitive thing that we continue to train our team on uh, and then nudge them to do all the time is, uh, even if you know the answer, resist the urge to answer, ask thoughtful questions to understand the worldview from which somebody comes from. For example, the same question of, hey, how do I set up EU VAT? Right, uh, European VAT for uh, my invoices, it's a simple question. The same question could be asked by an early stage founder, or it could be asked by a finance person in a slightly at scale company. But you know that the worldview and the context with which each person is asking is very different. The amount of knowledge that each person has is very different. If you try to answer that question by just giving a link, right? you are being very helpful to the finance person, but not so much to the, uh, the early stage founder who is probably an engineer by career and may not, have, may not have considered all the other things that are necessary to think through before they use that uh, link that you just sent, right? So it is helpful to just understand the people before you give an answer uh, and that is something that we seriously encourage our team to look at. I, I think that pretty much summarizes um, the elements of a world class support. One, jumping with joy to try and answer someone and then number two, trying to Understand the context with which somebody asks you a question before you try and attempt to uh, give an answer. The, the resisting the urge to give an answer, and uh, but rather try and ask a few more questions to uh, understand the, their worldview, uh, the reasons behind their question before you give the answer. I, I think th- those two elements are extremely important.
1: Yeah, and one thing I want to pick up on there, and that is how have you been able to scale up your customer support to provide this fast and rapid response to customers all around the globe considering you're based in Chennai?
0: That's, that is correct. Um, so the one of the challenges has been uh, the moment actually the US time actually shut, uh, is uh, scaling down in the evening, suddenly the Australia team picks up, right? So one of the biggest challenges has been structuring the team in a way that uh, there is around the clock support all through. In the early days it used to be us getting up in the morning uh, one of us staying up till 3am uh, in the night uh, and then the next person getting up uh, by 4am or 5am and there used to be the two hour uh, uh, span when nobody used to look at those tickets uh, and that used to be the challenge Our, thankfully as we continued scaling we were able to put the team in place uh, where we were continuously supporting the uh, customers around the round the clock. Yeah, So there that, that has been one major challenge that has been there uh, that stretches your team in terms of ability to be responsive. But I think it's it, it, there, there needs to be something that you need to consider as non-negotiable uh, and only then we will work around the constraints. Uh, for us, responsiveness became a non-negotiable thing and automatically we had to align with that in terms of all the other things we had to do to make it happen.
1: Okay, that's great. And uh, let's mm-hmm. go back to talk a bit about marketing and your marketing team is split into four pillars. So could you tell us about those pillars and what each team is responsible for?
0: Sure. Uh, So primarily the demand gen is uh, one function, right? Demand gen takes care of customer acquisition all the way from doing keyword research. Are we ranking right for the right keywords, uh, long tail of keywords, and how are we doing? Number two is uh, that another function that aligns with demand gen within marketing is adverts and all the inorganic spend that happens, right? a small team that actually looks at all the adverts, landing pages, um, the different tactic tactics that are necessary to acquire customers through uh, pay all the paid channels. Number three is customer marketing, uh, uh, which is uh, customer and product marketing, uh, which is focused on customers. How do we educate them, and while also taking care of uh, promoting the features and ensuring that the features are used. Then uh, there is content marketing team, which actually enables demand gen. Uh, so those are four groups that work, uh, but pretty much all of them align with uh, uh, demand gen and customer
1: or product marketing. Okay. So you have first team demand gen, second is paid acquisition, third customer and product marketing, and then fourth content marketing. So how do you actually ensure that these four teams are working in alignment and in harmony and closely together?
0: Um, so one is uh, weekly checking. One is, the the purpose of content right so the, one is uh, internalizing the message uh, and that's a huge learning curve for a lot of us uh, who do inbound marketing early days you tend to write about problems and then build an audience but at some point of time the content that you put out needs to have a very specific purpose uh, that is are you build writing for awareness are you writing for branding or are you also writing for demand gen is something that needs to be very clear right and unless actually we have this clarity uh, it can become a siloed uh, activity. And that learning curve is something that we had to go through uh, to figure that out, right? So once we were able to do that, and then the team actually figured this uh, internal by internalizing the message asking themselves again and again, we were able to bring alignment by having content to enable demand. Uh, So then your research that is necessary in terms of content strategy automatically aligns with whatever demand and needs. And uh, so you start putting out, you think about your content in a way that, okay, why am I writing this blog? And how is that blog going to bring the right audience that is necessary who might convert into my prospect, right? And that brings the tight alignment that is necessary for everything that happens in content will have a purpose to enable demand. Similarly, when it comes to adverts, that is actually pretty straightforward because you don't want your marketing dollars to be wasted. So that naturally aligns with uh, demand. So that's uh, three groups working too closely uh, as a function. The the, the the fourth one is customer marketing and uh, product. Um, so from a customer marketing perspective, your customers are your best evangelists when it comes to bringing more customers. So we try to ensure that, again, customer marketing works very closely with demand gen in terms of testimonials, case studies, and everything that's necessary to enable them. Uh, so that is how we do the prioritization. So it all comes down to prioritization of what you pick up because there is so much uh, as a, each function by itself uh, can be broken down and then there is so much of activity that can happen in that. Uh, But as a small team, the biggest constraint that we all have is the time uh, and the resources. Um, So it comes down to prioritization. So at every stage of the growth, there is something that actually becomes the uh, most important thing that you want to achieve as a business. And at this stage of scale and growth, uh, for us, demand gen is the most important thing. So pretty much all the other functions align with them. Uh, there used to be the time when we also used to focus on awareness for quite a bit of time but now the focus has shifted towards demand and that is how we bring the alliance.
1: yeah and you founded charge b like we said earlier way back in 2011 and the SaaS space has evolved so much since then with a lot more competition nowadays so what strategies have you used to ensure you're able to differentiate and stand out from within a competitive landscape
0: sure <laughs> so the, that's a brilliant question. So the one of the biggest uh, realizations and learnings uh, is that um, as the space evolves, right? It's very important to uh, pay close attention to who rea- we really are competing with. So uh, in a in a space like subscription billing, where uh, it is essential for. A- Every business, right? Everybody who is in the recurring revenue business needs a billing system, uh, and yet uh, the space is um, evolving in a way that we are really uh, the the question needs to be asked: Are we really competing with like-for-like like solutions, or are we competing with internal systems? And and then the best part that we actually realized like two and a half years back uh, by doing a lot of customer interviews and asking this question but we took a pause almost uh, in terms of from a marketing standpoint to understand who re- we really compete with uh, because that was something extremely important to understand because you need to position yourself against it uh, the product direction uh, needs to be built around it and the the realization is that we are really competing with internal systems rather than like for like solution is a reality of the the market right and then once that becomes very clear right you start building everything that you put together in terms of product uh, your positioning all of that aligns with uh, that kind of a messaging right uh, to give you a case in point is uh, if if we think about competition and then how we need to stand out right it is it's easy to say okay i need to have a quickbooks integration or a, a zero integration for accounting to enable our customers but is it enough to be able to say, okay, I have this additional integration that, is, that a competitor does not have is one question. But when you actually look at a prospect, that the question you need to ask yourself is, what are they evaluating you against, right? And if the competitor is actually, if your prospect is evaluating, let's say your competitor, right, you, and then they are also evaluating the other option, which is building it themselves as an internal option, then the real competition is not just your competitor, but it's an internal, the option of building it internal, right? The moment you think about it, the 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 ability, the, you need to build something, which is the, the reason why they want to implement it, something uh, themselves is something we need to go look harder. And the moment we did that, we understood that the, comp, the we need to be better than what they would want to do internally, simply because the competitor probably is not solving it, or actually none of us are solving it and uh, learning actually focusing on that aspect and then building all the value proposition around it uh, is something that has been able uh, that we have been able to do well in the recent past and that has helped us uh, scale beautifully in the last couple of years um, as a first time entrepreneur actually understanding that part was the hardest part of the journey uh, to internalize it uh, especially for ourselves and for the team
1: wow and that was a brilliant answer that was a really really Good insight and a lot of learnings there. Um, And finally, I I just want to ask one question before we move on to the last part of the interview. And that is, you know, when you look back on the journey that you've had since the beginning of 2011, what do you feel have been the keys that have enabled Chargebee to reach 5,000 customers?
0: Sure. Uh, One is uh, definitely continuously obsessing about trying to understand the the competition, right? (laughs) Like uh, we just discussed. (laughs) Uh, that that figuring that part has been the hardest part, right? If you if you, the reality of the market is nobody has forty percent market share, then you really need to ask the hard question, right? Is it has your competitors have your competitors really figured it out, right? And and then if that is not the case, right? Nobody has dominance in the market, then it's up to you to actually figure that out, and that is what has been the the biggest driver for us to actually uh, do this better, right? And and that's why right now Chargebee has the most number of customers. Uh, in the market and then we re- and and it still feels like a greenfield we are just getting started and uh, that's a good position to be in but that's also the one of the, the key learnings for us to actually obsess about uh, focus on the customers more than you would actually on the competition is uh, one aspect number two uh, is aligning figuring out the value metrics that are necessary in terms of pricing right you cannot leave pricing as something where you just launch and then Uh, go back to after several years because pricing affects pretty much every aspect of the funnel meaning all the way from the way somebody would perceive you right if you think you need let's say a mid-market customer uh, and uh, uh, you need to think like a mid-market customer meaning a prospect if they are looking at you they are probably the the things that you put out on your pricing page matters right let's say your pricing starts at a $50 per month Right. And then your biggest price plan is, let's say, $200 per month, $199 per month. And then uh, you just say custom pricing. Now, you need to imagine right, what would go in the mind of a, a prospect when they're looking at your pricing page. So it's not enough to say, I want uh, a mid-market or an enterprise customer, but do you have the right kind of pricing that actually creates the right impression? Right. So it affects pricing, affects the quality of leads. Pricing affects your conversion. Pricing affects your ability to convert bigger customers or smaller customers. It actually affects you on either end of the spectrum, right? Sometimes you need to have the premium pricing and make it look like a deal for early stage customers, right? So figure, f- focusing more on the value metrics with which your business is aligned and your, the way you price your product is extremely important, right? Even your competitor may not have figured it out. So I think that's something uh, that has been a huge driver in terms of Understanding our uh, landscape, um, and and I think it has had a huge bearing in terms of even ability to scale. And uh, and then the third one is, pricing naturally has the uh, uh, translates to the way you actually build the product. The feedback loop uh, is built around the customers that you serve. If you bring in poor quality of customers or the segment of customers who cannot scale with you, then the the feedback that these customers are giving you affects your roadmap because the customers actually shape your product. And you need to ensure that you are attracting the right type of customers. To attract the right type of customer, you need to have pricing as a filter. So as a first time entrepreneur, actually understanding the cyclical loop with which these three or four things actually affect the direction of the overall company is something um, that actually has been fascinating journey to go through again and again. So uh, we all keep reading about it, that change your copy on the website, always test your pricing. Uh, and then always be testing when it comes to pretty much every part of the funnel uh, but it, it it never hits you till you actually attempt to do those things and then how much how hard each particular aspect is in terms of optimizing the funnel and it's like, it's actually a continuous loop where you change one part of the website and then it affects the next level in conversion and then you change another aspect in terms of uh, something else and you need to go through this in iterations again and again as you continue to scale. Uh, I I think looking at it as an experiment, rather than you set it and then you forget about it, I think that has been the biggest enabler for us to be able to continue to scale the business over the last four years.
1: Awesome. And now let's move to the closing questions and our fast five challenge. So all I'm going to do is read out five questions and you just need to answer them as quickly as possible. So are you ready? Yes, sir. (laughs) Great. All right. The first question is, what books are you currently reading?
0: Uh, hit Refresh by Satya Nadella, uh, CEO of Microsoft. Um, I just finished it. Uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, I tend to read two, three books at a time. One on business, one on self-improvement. Self-improvement book that I'm reading is uh, uh, yeah, Mindset by Carol Dweck. Uh, on the business side, I'm reading Scaling Up uh, on Kindle, Mastering Rockefeller Habits. So, yeah, Scaling Up is about that. And I also am a history buff, uh, and I am reading. uh, My native tongue is Tamil, and I'm reading uh, something about the Chola Empire from the uh, 1100 uh, BC. uh, Yeah, 1100
1: AD. Yeah. Okay. Chola Empire. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of lot of different books there. Um, second question: a SaaS company that you love and why?
0: Uh, Clearly, HubSpot. uh, Their clarity. Uh, in execution is just brilliant. right? took up a crowded space, um, but uh, the founder's ability to scale beautifully uh, from all the way from early stage through different stages of the journey and then taking it post-IPO and especially proving everybody wrong that you, it's very hard to build an SMB space. They actually proved that you can start with SMB and then you can also continue to scale in enterprise while profitably serving both sides. I think uh, they have proved that beautifully. HubSpot is somebody I respect a lot
1: yeah, and third question, your favorite place to read about SaaS online?
0: Um, that has changed over a period of time. Now it's Labs, OpenView Ventures, uh, Labs.OpenView Partners. The uh, next one is FirstRound.com, uh, two blogs that I actually uh, read a lot. Uh, more than specific tactics, they actually uh, talk about the high-level numbers, the process around marketing tactics, and all that, which I really, really love.
1: Fourth question, what is your most important growth metric?
0: Uh, total process volume of our customers uh, because our success is dependent on our customer success. So we obsess everything about total process volume, uh, meaning the invoice value of our or our invoice value of our customers. That's our north star.
1: Great. And the final question: What would be your best piece of advice for fellow SaaS growth leaders?
0: Mm. Uh, it's uh, after you get some paying customers. Uh, it's never too early to look hard at your metrics. You are, you are never too small uh, you are, uh, to look at your metrics because the metrics are trying to tell you a story. Uh, so, it's, uh, so start paying attention to those metrics uh, instead of delaying uh, It's never too late uh, and it's never too early.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Krish, thank you so much for joining us on the Growth Hub podcast this morning and sharing the story of Chargebee's journey with us today.
0: Thank you, Edward. it was fun. Thank you
1: so much. That was Krish Subramanian sharing the story of Chargebee's journey to 5,000 customers. If you enjoyed this episode, then you can find Krish on Twitter at CBKrish. Also, if you're enjoying the Growth of podcast, then please subscribe, leave us a review, and we truly appreciate any feedback you have. And you're always welcome to get in touch with me on Twitter at NordicEdward, LinkedIn, or drop me a message at edward at advancedb2b.fi. So thank you for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out the Growth Hub at advancedb 2 bcom slash the Growth Hub for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to and they're sick
0: and tired of being sold. The single biggest story our customers. Are-